For those of you who do not know me, my name is Sam Riedel, and I have the distinct pleasure of serving as the youth director here at Mount Olivet, and the even more distinct pleasure of bringing the message this morning on such a delightful and, and famous story. But before we dive into the story, uh, Jim referenced it, but I wanted to read the passage that comes directly before our story for today. At that time, Herod the ruler heard reports about Jesus. And he said to his servants, this is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead. And for this reason, these powers are at work in him. For Herod had arrested John, bound him, and put him in prison on account of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because John had been telling him it is not lawful for you to have her. Though Herod wanted to put him to death, he feared the crowd because they regarded him as a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company, and she pleased Herod so much that he promised on oath to grant her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, she said, give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. The king was grieved, yet out of regard for his oaths and for the guests, he commanded it to be given. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison, and the head was brought on a platter and given to the girl who brought it to her mother. His disciples came and took the body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus. So in case you were wondering what message might have led Jesus to depart on a boat and venture somewhere to be alone, that was it. The execution of his cousin. Matthew, in his gospel, reminds us that none of the stories of Jesus occur in a vacuum. None of these stories are isolated. None of the actions of Jesus occur outside the ebb and flow and the consequences of real human choices. That right before the feeding of the 5,000, there was another banquet with a very different host, a very different guest list, and a very different main event. We encounter Jesus through Matthew's account somewhat midway. He's healed and taught, exercised and proclaimed. The kingdom of God is at hand, he has said. And today we are invited into a story that speaks of the shapes and contours of this kingdom. What does it look like? What is possible in this kingdom? And what are we to bring to this kingdom? Matthew, in his subtlety, describes the kingdom by highlighting precisely what it isn't. Herod embodies everything that the prophets and Jesus spoke against. He arrests and binds those who speak for God. He throws elaborate parties for only the great and the powerful. He corrupts justice through rash oaths and makes his commitments to honor and shame far more important than his fidelity and faithfulness to the word of God. He is governed by his fear of the crowd, where in our story, Jesus seems moved by his compassion for it. Jesus seems moved by those who, in his own words, are poor in spirit, 
who mourn, those who are meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. He is moved for the merciful, for the pure in heart and the peacemakers, and ultimately for those who suffer for righteousness' sake. When we ask what does the kingdom of God look like to St. Matthew, one idea would be to compare his Jesus and his compassion for the weary with Herod and his fear of the nameless. It is this compassion that Scripture tells us leads Jesus to cure the sick of the crowds who gathered on the shore. Into the evening, Jesus proclaimed that the kingdom is at hand through his signs and wonders, through healing and renewal. And then as the evening crept in, the disciples encouraged Jesus to disperse the crowd into the surrounding villages so that they might buy food for themselves. And it is at this moment when Jesus says, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. It's at this point in the scriptures that I have wondered whether there should be stage directions. Something like a notation in italics, and the disciples were dumbfounded. And they looked at him like he was crazy. And they were afraid. In this simple command, you give them something to eat. Jesus disarms the whole lot of them. For they have nothing but five loaves and two fish. They have nothing compared to the hunger and the needs of the crowds before them. Nothing that might suffice and heal. Nothing to offer. I don't know about everyone here, but these sort of commands from Jesus, they disarm me as well. They lead me to wonder what is actually possible in the kingdom that Christ proclaimed is at hand, not just on the horizon, at the end of the yellow brick road, through the looking glass, or under the sea, but at hand. They lead me to wonder how often I employ all manner of reasons as to why I can't give of myself. What are my five loaves and two fishes in the midst of the thousands? What do I have waiting to be transformed by the Spirit? But in my hesitation and fear, I am either just plain old resistant or utterly unaware of what I've got and what it can do. Bring them to me. That is the response to this hesitation and fear. No anger, no scolding, no frustration, no exasperation. None of the ye of little faith that we encounter in other scenes, but instead a beckoning, an invitation. On one of our recent mission trips this summer, there was a discussion question that has stuck in my mind. It went this way. If you met someone who had never heard of Jesus, what is one word you'd use to describe him? There were all sorts of good responses, uh, but after, no doubt, a long-winded response by me that went far beyond the one word, I can assure you, Ben Ellison said, 
different. He said, I am not sure how to describe it, but he's just different. And how right he is. I'm not sure if Ben realizes it, but in my mind, he pretty well summed up what St. Matthew was hoping to describe in this passage. A king who is so unlike the kings of this world. A king who is simply different. I began this morning by raising the passage directly before our reading to show what Matthew had hoped his readers would see in this fantastic story of feeding. That Herod and all the kings of the world operate and rule in one way. They welcome only the great and the powerful. They make rash oaths and even rasher decisions based on them. They are governed by fear rather than by compassion, and honor and shame rather than humility and wisdom have a tendency to guide their judgments. I raised that the story of the feeding of the 5,000 is preceded by a very different banquet, a very different host, and a rather haunting different main event. But I am also afraid that by choosing to focus too much on Herod, we who are most certainly not first century kings can rationalize away the fact that despite our inability to take a man's life through our rash oaths, oh, we no doubt make rash oaths. Though our parties may not occur in castles, in vast rooms with servants and livery, I guarantee you that we know who makes it onto our invite list and who most certainly does not. Though our decisions may not affect thousands, we all have stories of when we were governed by fear rather than by compassion. Though we may not want to admit it, we all have stories of when our desire for honor or our desperate attempts to avoid shame controlled us far more than wisdom and humility. From Herod down to the disciples and all in between, we don't have much more than five loaves and two fishes, and we need to feed many thousands. I can tell you there are a variety of robust theological ways to define this dilemma. But I am fond of the homely language of Bilbo Baggins, who describes himself as not enough butter scraped over far too much bread. But friends, it is in the midst of this thinness, this lack, this hunger, and this thirst that again we hear the words of Jesus. Bring them to me. We read that Jesus looked up to heaven, blessed the bread, broke it, and gave it to the disciples, and they gave them to the crowds. This story is indeed preceded by a banquet, but it is also followed by one a particular meal in which Jesus spoke words that summed up all that occurred and spelled out all that would happen to him 
and happen through him. This meal has many names, communion, the Lord's table, Eucharist, but it has one purpose, that being a means of grace by which we bring nothing more than our own loaves and fish, whatever they might be, and by the power and presence of our risen Savior are enabled to feed others. And like the disciples so long ago, by faith and through the power of Christ's Spirit, my friends, I assure you, we will feed many thousands.